What I want to teach you is what Jesus has taught us about how he looks at what he has given you. And often this issue has, is a, a significant failure uh, within the lives of Christian people. And I told you right from the beginning of this year that we view everything that we do as Christians uh, as distinguished between day one, when you come to salvation, when Jesus saves you, uh, not for anything that you've done, but that you've recognized the desperate nature where you were in your life. You reach up to God uh, and say, Lord, I need help. I need a savior. And God pours his grace into your life, allowing you to, to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you are saved, irrespective of doing nothing other than recognizing the desperate, lost condition of yourself. Day one. Day two, and the rest of your life, involves discipleship. Take up your cross and follow me. Abide in me. Give up your, your family for me everything that you do for me. Uh, and so at day two and the rest of your life, day three, day four, day 10,000, no matter how many days that is in your life, involves you walking with Jesus. And you cannot walk with Jesus. And let's understand this, you can still be saved because you're saved in day one. But discipleship now relates to your willfulness, your personal willfulness to follow God take up the cross, abide with him, do his will on a daily basis. And so many of us remain in day one. So many Christians remain in day one. Yes, they're saved. I'm not going there and saying that they're not saved. But truly, you cannot have a triumphant Christian life. You cannot be everything that God wants you to be. You cannot serve the kingdom. You cannot advance the kingdom of God. He cannot use you unless you are abiding, walking, discipling in him. And this issue winds up being a major blood clot. This winds up being a major blood clot. Uh, and so this all involves around the issue of submission. If you are truly submitted to God in every aspect of your life, that submission includes your wallet. And as my dad said uh, many times to uh, many people, the last place a man is saved is in his wallet. Uh, and so we're going to talk today not about really uh, the specifics of how you are to use what God gave you, but rather about the general proposition, the general proposition of who owns your possessions. And so Jesus warns here uh, in this section of scripture uh, on the Sermon on the Mount, he warns against uh, the sin of loving and embracing our possessions. Turn to Matthew chapter 6. Uh, verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth 
and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And you know, I'm reading out of the NIV uh, translation. So uh, your translation may deviate about that. And you may say, if you have a King James, I think it says you cannot serve both God and mammon. All right. Am I right? So, so there you, there you have it. You couldn't ask Jesus to be more specific on this issue. And so the Bible has given us a rich example of what happens when you fall in love with your possessions um, uh, and how it becomes uh, ruinous to your godly walk. And there are some significant examples of that. One of the first examples of that, as I reference, is uh, a gentleman named Achan, A-C-H-A-N, and you see that in your outline under number two. Uh, And this is a man... Uh, who was involved with the Israelites as they came into the promised land, was involved as they came and marched around Jericho. And God had given strict instructions as they marched around Jericho that all of the possessions of gold and silver and jewels had to be returned to the treasury of God, that they would be used uh, by the work of God. Uh, And all those spoils had to be turned over. Well, Achan, despite the fact that he had been a soldier, uh, violated God's will. uh, And uh, as a result of that, uh, Israel was defeated in its next attempt to take a secondary city, a much smaller city, the city of Ai. Uh, And uh, in that attempt, they didn't need to bring as many soldiers. They brought half the number of soldiers because it was a smaller emplacement. They went out there, and not only were they defeated, but 26 uh, Israelites were killed. Turn, if you would, to Joshua chapter 7. I'm not going to read the whole thing. We'll just take periodic verses. Verse 7, but the Israelites acted, this is Joshua 7, verse 1, but the Israelites acted unfaithfully and regarded to the devoted things. Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah, took some of them, so the Lord's Anger burned against Israel. So there it is. There's the sin. He takes them. He hides them. He secretes them. He violates God's will. Now, look at verse 10. Uh, What's that? Uh, Yes, Joshua chapter 7. This is Achan's sin, okay? Joshua chapter 7. Now go to verse 10. They are defeated. They are defeated. They had never tasted defeat before, and now Joshua is destroyed because he believes he's going to lose the confidence of the uh, Israelites because he's led them and they have been defeated. uh, And always they viewed him as following God, not being defeated. And so in verse 10, you see the following. The Lord said to Joshua, stand up. What are you doing down on your face? Israel has sinned. 
They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things they have stolen. They have lied. They have put them with their own possessions. That is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they have made, been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. Oh, God. Oh, God. This is a serious thing. You see what happens when you violate God's will, when you don't take God's word uh, very seriously, and it was very clear. Everything that you find of value goes back to God. It was as if God was demonstrating them about the first fruits in our lives. And I think what happens here with us is that we fall into the trap uh, of thinking that whatever we have accumulated, it is because we are smart, we are gifted, uh, we are hardworking, we have great character. How am I doing? Am I hitting home on this? Is there another person out there that has, has fallen into this trap that my, my mother and father drummed out of me when I was about 32 years old? You know that story. But, but uh, you know, it's all about me, me, I, I. And what you understand as a Christian is that none of that applies. There is no me. There is no I. Whatever you have has been given to you by the giftedness of God. Whatever your talents are, God gave you those talents. Whatever your mental abilities are, God gave you that. You have the health to achieve what God gave you. So even as you accumulate wealth, don't ever fall into the trap of, of looking there and saying, yes, I've done well. Yes, I've done well. Rather, what you should say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God, for giving me the gifts that you've given me. Let me always remember that they're yours, not mine. Um, and so you see this in this lesson. And turning on to verse 19, you see in that same chapter now, uh, God has instructed Joshua to go through all of Israel, all of the tribes, and, and, and question each one of them in order to get an answer as to who violated God's will. And now look at verse 19, chapter 7. Then Joshua said to Achan, my son, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and give him the praise. Tell me, what have you done? Do not hide it from me. Achan replies, it is true. I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I have done. When I saw in the plunder a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver, and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels. I coveted them and took them. They are hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent, and there it was, hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. They took the things from the tent, brought them to Joshua, and all the Israelites spread out before the Lord. Then Joshua, together with Israel, took Achan with the silver and the robe and the gold, his sons and daughter, his cattle, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, and all that they had to the valley of Achor. Joshua said, why have you brought this trouble on us? The Lord will bring trouble on you today. Then all Israel stoned him, and after they had stoned the rest, they burned them. For any of you who thinks that God is kidding. Okay? This is an important part to understanding the start 
uh, of this lesson, and you understand how serious this issue is with God. And so you see, the blessings didn't flow. God, God allowed Israel to be defeated because they had, had this sin within themselves. And so now we have to focus on God and say, Lord, what are you speaking to me about now? How does this resonate uh, with me? Well, there's other examples about this. Uh, let's talk about Ananias and Sapphira. Because part of this is a teaching to understand how God views wealth. Uh, many of you have heard that God is against capitalism. Uh, and I'm going to prove to you in this lesson that God is not against capitalism. God is not a socialist. God is not a communist. Uh, and, and, and I want to show that to you and prove it to you that God wants you to be successful. God wants you to, to have all the, the wealth that you're entitled to. He wants you to have the gifts that he's given to you prosper. But he does not want you to fall in love with your possessions. He does not want you to greedily embrace it and need a major surgery to remove a dollar uh, for the kingdom of God. You understand? And so this is what this is about. And so understanding this, and you see this here with this lesson with Ananias and Sapphira. And you know the story. It's the nascent church. Here they are. They're just starting off. This is shortly after Jesus ascends. And so they are coming together. And at that time, it was very unique. It's not a time that I've seen subsequent to that. But in that time, effectively, those early members of the church, and it was a small group of people, would pool their money, pool their possessions so that those who had less would be taken care of. All right. This was not a proscription that applied to the church today. It was a unique situation one time in that period of time. Now, what was happening is that people would go and sell things that they had and bring them uh, to the apostles and lay it at their feet so that the church would grow. And Ananias and Sapphira, who were members of that church, decided that they would sell a plot of land that they owned and go and bring the proceeds to the apostles, as others had been doing but not quite in the same way. Turn to Acts chapter 4, verse 32. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostle called Barnabas, and you know Barnabas would achieve greatness later with Paul as his traveling companion, which means sons of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now, there we go. That's the predicate. That's what's happening. Now turn, uh, now look in verse chapter 5. Now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Now, was that a sin at that point? 
keeping back a part of the money. No, it was not a sin. He didn't have to bring it all to the Lord. He had a right, if he wanted to, to bring part of it and to keep part back. But the sin is that he misrepresented and lied to God about his heart. All right? And he brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Now, there it is. You lied to the Holy Spirit. You lied to God. They misrepresented. Here it is. Just like everybody else is giving it all, we're giving it all. Wink, wink to the wife. All right? All right? And so then he makes this statement in verse 4, which I think is a, is a very significant statement for us today. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, but to God. And by the way, this is one of the first times you'll see in, in the scripture, uh, the reference to the Holy Spirit as being God. You lied to the Holy Spirit. All right. You lied to God. All right. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then the young men came forward, wrapped up the body, carried him out, and buried him. This was, a, this was one of the passages in Scripture that bothered me as a young man in church. I was disturbed by this. Uh, because on its face, to people that don't, don't really have a deep understanding of God, it's troubling. Wait a minute, wait a minute. They sold the property, and they gave a chunk to God. Okay, they kept some back. But they gave a chunk to God, but they lied to God. They misrepresented to God. They looked to put themselves in the first order of those people who had sold everything. And so what you see here is the greed factor entered into their heart, misrepresenting what they were doing, and as a result, they lied to God. And he's dropped at his feet, and he's carried out. And you know the story that, that shortly thereafter, his wife comes and repeats the same thing, the same um, uh, statements, and obviously she did not know what had happened to him. And so you see the drastic punishment of instant uh, death is served to expose them as unbelievers in the midst of a redeemed God. Let me say it again. What they did proved that they were not truly believers of God. They had not truly submitted to God. And here you have this beginning church, this beginning church, and God was so protective of that church, and he wanted to demonstrate to the world that this church must be pure. And if we're going to stand and be the spokesman for Jesus Christ and for God, this is what we need to do. And so you see this happening. And so unlike the rest of the church, what you see here is covetousness filled their heart. They made they effectively made their religiosity a public display. They made their religiosity a public display. And this is another thing God is warning us about. And there's scripture that says, when you give, don't let your right hand know what your left hand has done. Right? What does that mean? It means that when we step forward and we give of our possessions, we give to God, we don't make a public display out of it. 
God doesn't want to see that. That's exactly what the Pharisees would do. They would have these elaborate parades, and they would be carrying their possessions and their gold and waving it around. God repudiates that. It's all about God. When you understand that whatever you have is God's, then what are you doing bragging about giving his stuff away? Did you ever think about that? Oh, yeah. Uh, Wait a minute. It's God's. You understand? It's the Lord's. And so we make a public display of giving God's things away. Instead, we need to bow our heads in submission and say, thank you, Father, for honoring me. Thank you for blessing me. Thank you for giving me the privilege to be able to do this. Lord, I submit to your will. This is what these lessons are about, showing you that God demands submission. You want to be with God day two and the rest of your life. You need to understand this. And and so God looks at our hearts. He doesn't look at your bank accounts. He doesn't look at your stock portfolio. He looks at your hearts. Do you love me? Do you care for me? Have you submitted to me in every aspect of your life? And as he sees that, that's exactly how he looks at you and uses you in ministry. Uh, And so this is important to understand. Paul wrote about this um, in the epistles when he referenced uh, a young man that had worked with him, a man named Demas. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10. This is Paul speaking. Verse 9, we'll start with. Do your best to come to me quickly, for Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. So the point was Demas abandons Paul, abandons the work, uh, and so instead of serving God, he goes back, to uh, amass whatever kind of fortune he wants to do. And so here's the lesson there for you. We direct all of our efforts, all of our lives, all of our lives, to building up our possessions. Everything we do is directed to this. And while we do this, many of us have neglected our spiritual life. And so Paul writes about this fact. He writes about the issue of the love of money Uh, and what it can do. While you're there, look at 1 Timothy chapter uh, 6, verse uh, verse 10. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with with, with many griefs. Read that that section carefully. It's not the money that brings grief. It's the love of money, the obsession with money. And so I want, you, I want to drill this home to you, that if God has blessed you and given you wealth, praise God. But never forget, it's his. He's done it. He's given it to you. It's his possession, his money, his wealth. And if you fall in love with those things and you become obsessed with those things, you will fall into sin. Uh, And this is an important thing to understand. 
So nowhere in scripture does it say that money is inherently evil. It is not the money or the possessions or the wealth that is the problem. It is the men and women who fall in love with it and covenant it. Uh, when we surrender to God our, uh, and our lives are redirected to God, these things are removed from the center of our lives. Uh, and really, that's the essence of understanding this lesson. When you say to God in everything that you have, Lord, I thank you so much for the blessings that you've given me. Lord, now I ask you, Father, to direct me as to what you want me to do for your kingdom in order to advance your kingdom. I said your kingdom, not necessarily a single church, but the kingdom of God, the overall kingdom of God that God inspires you about through the Holy Spirit. And here's the essence of this, this lesson. So many times people will come up to me and say, uh, uh, is it God's will that I tithe? Is it God's will that I tithe? Um, and, and I will say to them that when you really fall in love with God, that when you really fall in love with God and you, and you open your heart to God, you don't think in terms of percentage. You understand? You don't think, okay, God, this is your piece. This is mine. You understand? This is my stuff. I'll give you this, even a little bit somewhat reluctantly. I'll give you this, but the rest is mine. No, you see, when you fall in love with God and you understand this lesson, here it is, folks. It's all his. So here's the point. You get to the point where it's not 10% or 20% or 30%. It's whatever God speaks to your heart about that is a need for the kingdom of God. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. All right. I want you to understand this principle, okay? So don't come to me or ask me, really, is it, is it limited to 10%? It's not limited to 10%. When you go back and study scripture, it's pretty clear that the Pharisees probably gave about 20%. Now, they didn't have income taxes during that time, so that's the other side of that. All right, I got it. I got it. I'm there. I understand. But you just got the Tax Reform Act, all right? Okay, you just got the Tax Reform Act. So the, 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 the point of this is when you get into this lesson, you understand this. And here's the point. I want to say something else. When people come to me and say, I'm just barely getting by. I'm just barely bitten by. I can't give anything to God. That is a troubling thing for me to hear, okay? And I'm going to tell you, do you think God wants to hear that even if you're just barely getting by, that you couldn't find something to give back to God? Really, I would say get on your knees and ask God about that. Uh, because I would say that in some ways that becomes a blood clot. That becomes a blockage. Uh, and I'm not saying that God does any quid pro quo. You know, you give me this, I'll give you that. You want to get this car, you give me a bigger gift. You give me more, I'll give you a house. You, you know, you've seen it on television. All right. Uh, no, that's not theologically correct. But he looks to see your heart. And if your heart's not right, I'm going to say something to you that I think some of you may not be getting the blessings that God would want to give to you. All right? This all becomes the fulfillment of God wanting you to have the richest, uh, most blessed life that we can have. 
There, there is a great example of this in Scripture. It is about the rich young ruler uh, who came to Jesus. Turn, if you would, to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, verse 18. A certain ruler asked him, that's Jesus, good teacher. And by the way, anytime somebody, you know, starts out with good teacher, you, your, your radar has to go up. All right? It was like when people would come up to me and would say to me, counselor, <laughs> counselor. And I would know right away, well, be ready. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And this is a, a Jew now who knew full well what he, he needed to do. And Jesus, you got to love Jesus. Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. Now, if I were there uh, in Jesus' clothing, I would have said at this point, you're a lying weasel. <laughs> You've just lied to me. I ought to, I ought to do to you what Ananias and Sapphira hap happened. You're lying to God. You have kept all these. You haven't kept a one of them. You haven't kept a one of them. Wh whether it's physically violating them or in your heart, You've violated all of them. You've not submitted your heart to God. You've not approached the throne of God in the right way. You're arrogant. You're presumptuous. Uh, but Jesus loved him. You see, that's the difference between us and Jesus. You just heard what I would say. And that's why I'd have like one follower. <laughs> it would be Carlo. There would be nobody else following me around. Because Carlo is extremely loyal. But you see, Jesus looked at him, and he loved him. He loved him. He loved him. And that's, that's what, what, what resonates for you today. Jesus loves you, even as you're coming to terms with these issues in your life and the warts in the way you live. And when Jesus heard this, he said to them, you still lack one thing, oh God. One thing? You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven them, come and follow me. Now, let me say this to you. This is the only place in the Bible that I am aware of where the statement is made, go and sell everything you have. All right. God doesn't expect you and demand that you give up everything that you have. He wants you to give up that part of it that it needs to be given up to advance the kingdom of God. He needs you to understand that he owns everything in your heart, but that not everything has to be given up. And so here Jesus recognized that he was dealing with a metastatic disease in this young man, that he was obsessed and in love with his possessions. And so Jesus was cutting it out, just like you if you went to a surgeon, and he says to him, you need to give it all away because for you it's all contamination and it's all sin. Uh, then come and follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was a man of great wealth. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now understand this. It wasn't because he was rich. 
all right? It wasn't the affluence that made it impossible to enter the kingdom of God. Rather, it was the fact that he was in love and obsessed with them, and God saw his heart, saw what he needed, and said to him, you have to get rid of this obsession. You have to get rid of this sin. It's not your possessions. It is my possessions. And one of the greatest proofs of that is at the crucifixion, when Joseph of Arimathea stepped forward, who was probably then the wealthiest man in Jerusalem, stepped forward as, as a Pharisee uh, and, a, and a member of the Sanhedrin, and yet gave up his tomb, his personal tomb, so that Jesus Christ would be buried in the tomb of a rich man, bringing the prophetic verses of, of, in Isaiah that would say that he would be, the Messiah would be buried in the tomb of a rich man. And you see how God uses that, even uses that wealth. So we need to really pray about this and ask God to search our hearts. Uh, and we're going to continue this lesson next week. Uh, and so you can continue to study the outline, and we'll do part two of this next week. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you for these words. Lord, I, I thank you for these dear people who are our spiritual family. I ask you, Father, to bless them in every way, in every aspect of their life, Lord, and continue to teach them the lessons about who owns our possessions so that we understand as we serve you and walk with you, God, and submit to you that it's all yours. It's all yours. Father, bless them and bring them back safely next week as we put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. God bless you all.